Hi guys, today we have Sean Tollerton, product designer at Deliveroo, London. Hi Sean, how are you doing? Hey, how's it going? Good, it's great. The May is a good uh, time to sit at home, as all we do. How things are going in London? <laughs> yeah, the lockdown's still going. We're about two months in now. Um, starting to miss the world. We're supposed to be traveling uh, to Istanbul today. Uh, that's not happening. So just trying to make the the most of it here. Yeah. Let's try to think positively. So maybe in one year or two years, it will happen. Yeah, I hope so. Definitely. So uh, we're going today to talk regarding your Korean experience and it will be cool to start from early beginning. Can you share, please, how did you started your career as a designer? What was the background? Was What was the initial point for you? Mm. Well, yeah, I'll go back to uh, when I was in school and like art was definitely my favorite subject. Um, I remember spending like hours drawing still life objects um, with like charcoal or pencils. I was, I was very inspired by uh, MC Escher, very photorealistic drawings. Um, so that's when I sort of realized that I had like an eye for, for sort of art and, and graphics. Um, and then also my, my dad sort of recognized that and um, he actually gifted me like his old 35mm film camera. And I remember like doing lots of experimentation with the camera and doing long exposures. And that sort of got me comfortable with sort of uh, compositions. Uh, and then eventually that transitioned into digital photography. Uh, and I remember sort of reading lots of magazines around digital photography as well. And you'd often get like these free CDs that would have um, like like trials of Photoshop Express and Paint Shop Pro and how to edit the, the photos and like add type on there. So that was like the very beginnings of sort of exploring with sort of, I guess you could call it graphic design, but it's kind of, you know, digital creativity. Um, and then I remember starting to do like party invitations for friends because this is around when I was like sort of 16, 17. Um, so just sort of experimenting with that. Was it commercial or non-commercial just for fun? Uh, mostly just for fun, like friends at school. Like that was the very first exposure of like doing graphic design. Um, and yeah, and then after like school, I was looking at college um, and because of my initial experience with photography, I, I was exploring that as an avenue. And then I, I also discovered graphic design was another um, course that I could take. Um, and in the end, like I went with graphic design, there was more like potential in that I saw than photography. Um, so I, yeah, I proceeded with studying graphic design. Um, and then sort of after like college, I went on to do, to pursue it at university. And back then, this was like 2006 or so, um, there was two different courses. There was, uh, this was at UCA Epsom, uh, in South West London, uh, and they had two different courses. So graphic design and then graphic design, new media. Um, and I, I didn't know much about the new media aspect of it so much uh, maybe a little bit intimidated by um all the different parts of that but i wanted to learn more the fundamentals of graphic design um so i, I pursued that and that's where i learned about sort of typography grids color systems and so on um but i definitely found myself gravitating towards the more digital aspects of the course 
Um, so after year one, I actually spoke to my um, sort of course leaders and requested to switch to graphic design new media. And, and they actually granted that request. So uh, years two and three was purely focused on the new media aspects of graphic design. And that's where I learned about um, sort of 3D and animation, um, designing with data, uh, video editing, designing for the web, uh, all these different aspects. And I just found uh, new media just to be like way more exciting than all the traditional parts of graphic design. Um, like being on the bleeding edge. And I'm curious, what was the first real job in design area? Yeah, so in that final year at university, they had an internship program. But obviously, you need to know someone to get an internship. So how do you do that? Um, so I was very passionate about attending events where I could and also going to conferences in London. Um, and I remember going to one conference um, and I there was lots of different speakers and afterwards I pulled one of the speakers aside and um, there was like a, a line of students they're all like trying to get the attention of the speakers um, but I managed to get my sort of 30 seconds with, with this person um, and I expressed that I was in my final year and I was looking for an internship and um, I'd, I'd already prepared some business cards with my email address on there so I handed that over um, and then sort of yeah, like the following weeks, um, it actually did turn into an internship, which was really cool. So I sort of did that um, what was sort of still studying. And then when I eventually graduated, um, I was promoted to like a junior designer. So I became like an official full-time employee. Um, so that was, that was great. So coming straight out of college, uh, sorry, university, and then going straight into a full-time job. There was like, I was even considering doing a gap year doing some travel but I really wanted to like keep the momentum that I managed to to get there so yeah I worked with that agency it was a digital advertising agency uh, and their primary work was microsites uh, interactive flash banners um, and that that was very popular at the time Uh, that used to be uh, FWA awards and all these different awards around like uh, interactive websites like really flashy 3d stuff um, Flash was cool. Yeah, action script and timeline animation. It was a lot of fun. Um, so I, I did that for, yeah, it was about three years. Um, it's also worth noting that I graduated in 2008 and the iPhone was announced in 2007. Um, but yeah, but by the time it was sort of 2009, uh, 2010, like the App Store was sort of like really blowing up. Um, and I, I could see this, uh, and lots of companies didn't have their own internal design teams at this point. So they were using agencies to get the expertise of all these digital advertising uh, companies to sort of help start their very first apps. So that's sort of when I um, I knew that I wanted to go into that space. Like I, I'd had enough with doing microsites and, and banners. I wanted to create... Uh, things that people actually wanted to use in a meaningful way. Uh, and, and mobile was just, you know, the definite direction to go there. What was the point in your career when you started working for a company which is making a real product design? I mean, like working on a product for local market or international market? Um, 
Yeah, so when I sort of realised that I wanted to go into product, uh, there was an agency in London called Us Two, uh, and they were doing really like silly, fun games for kids and very experimental stuff. There's one one app they they did at the time called Mouth Off, and you would get an iPhone, hold it in horizontal format, and put it in front of your your mouth, and it would have like these cartoon mouths, and it would react to the voice that that whatever you're saying, uh, and it's just really like fun experimental stuff. Um, but they, they were also starting to work with companies like Sony Ericsson at the time um, and uh, H&M, the, uh, the fashion brand. Um, so I'd reached out to them uh, to ask if I could work for them. And I got an interview and unfortunately I was successful. This was in 2011. Um, so, yeah, that was the first sort of company that was taking mobile seriously that I'd worked for. Um, and the first client that I uh, got involved with was the H&M project. And this was H&M um, starting their very first like native apps on Android and iPhone. So that was, a, yeah, the first time. And also like mobile web. So understanding the differences between those two, pl- well, all of those different platforms is really interesting. Yeah. And then uh, after that, it was uh, working with Barclays. So, um, yeah, that's. Barclays was one of the biggest clients at the time. Uh, that we, yeah, we called them pillar clients. So yeah, it was yeah, it was really eye-opening. And like actually using the product on your phone and playing with it was really interesting. Uh, all the sort of user experience and the research that was going into it. Uh, and at, at the time as well, us too was very um, passionate about PPP. It, they called it pixel perfect precision. So uh, the, the level of craft was like insane. Um, so that was really where I learned about um, sort of creating very meticulous icons um, and and UI that was very um, like sharp and on point uh, and reflected the brand because like this was before design systems as well. Um, so yeah, the, the, the level of quality was really strong, yeah. Which part of your career was the pivot point? Uh, I would say there are two biggest pivot points in my career. Um, one is uh, transitioning into product design from like web design. Uh, and, and that was when I joined us too. Um, but I mean, up until I joined Deliveroo, all of my career was in agencies. And you're essentially servicing a client um, that means that you're kind of a step removed from what is actually being created. Now um, that the industry has sort of matured, um, lots of these companies that would have used an agency now have their own teams. So I would say the second pivot point is is joining one of those internal teams. And, and that was when I joined Deliveroo. How do you compare your experience working for agencies and the experience working in a core team of specific product? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, at an agency, a client gives you a very specific brief, which focuses on um, quite a specific problem. And lots of the time, like you don't know how, how broad this thing is going to be, how long we should spend on something, how much does it cost? So it tends to be quite a detailed um, problem that you're given. And then you'll sort of work on that for the given time. 
Um, it could involve a workshop, like a discovery phase, um, and then you'll create the work, you'll get the feedback from the client, you'll iterate, and you'll give them deliverables, and that can be the end. Um, but in-house, uh, you actually live with the with the problems. You see the the problems um, emerge. You can predict problems. Um, so you're kind of living with the the overall space. Um, it, it's very much ongoing, and I feel like that's more uh, sort of I won't say authentic, but you're yeah you, you just have a deeper connection with what what you're creating for and why and and why it's good for the business. And why it's going to be good for the uh, the actual user as well. Which part of the product are you working on now? Yeah, so uh, at Delivery right now, um, I'm sort of focused on a few different areas. Uh, one of the biggest ones is around discoverability. Um, so as a as a sort of a consumer of uh, an app like Delivery, um, when you open the app, you want to be able to find food that you want to order. Um, but the thing is, there's so much choice out there. How do you show the right thing at the right time? And we've, we've sort of um, called these two different types of users. There are like pursuers and there are browsers. So as a pursuer, you're opening the app and you know that you want, let's say, a burger. So when you open the app, you need to find where that burger is. Now, how do you do that? I, I mean... Yeah, like you can show burger joints at the top, but like there's no intent yet. So maybe you're, you're only showing what's trending right now. Uh, and then and then there are also browsers. Uh, and these are people that are going to open the app. They haven't even thought about what they want. They just know that they're hungry and they want something soon. So they're opening the app and they're just sort of browsing around. Um, and sometimes we'll get, we'll get a lot of drop-offs because people can't find what they want. They don't know what they want. We didn't show them what they want, and that's uh, that's the biggest challenge is like catering the experience for for those kind of users. So that's sort of a space that I've been uh, spending a lot of time on at Delivery. Can you please describe in a nutshell your current responsibilities? Yeah. Uh, so at the beginning of this year, um, one of the biggest projects I worked on was was a vision piece for Delivery, and that was looking at. Uh, what what the product would look like for consumers in like 18 to 24 months. Um, it's worth noting that Deliveroo has consumers who order food or groceries, but we also have uh, the, the restaurants and and the riders themselves. So wherever wherever we come up with in a vision has to work for each of those three sides of the business. So coming up with vision was a uh, yeah, really exciting project because we, we we needed to see what each of those three areas uh, needed to improve on, uh, what could be be really radical one as well. So that was uh, a really cool collaboration uh, with, with with the various teams, um, and then we demonstrated that in uh, I think that was February now, um, and it got the company really excited. Like it was it acted as, as a as a north star for what people would work on um, or, you know, like a guide for what people would work on. And then, as you know, in February, March, uh, we had the, the global pandemic uh, that had happened. So all the plans that we had had on sort of going towards this vision had sort of been 
like an uh yeah like a a big pivot and we needed to focus on lots of different things um such as contact free delivery making it clear to consumers that um their deliveries would now be contact free uh riders needed to know about that uh we also needed to like adapt and optimize our products to work better with grocery stores uh right now delivery is known for ordering uh takeout food uh restaurant quality food um and not many people know that you can actually order groceries on there like you, i mean toilet rolls were sold out everywhere uh, toilet paper but you could actually get that on delivery but not many people knew that so like making that uh clearer and easier for people to use was one of our new priorities that we didn't know about uh, and the most recent projects that i've been involved in is around uh rounding up your bill to donate to a, a charity and uh delivery operates in lots of different markets around the world so we want people to be able to uh donate to a relevant charity in that given market in our mvp so in the united kingdom um you'll be able to donate uh money to the nhs so that healthcare workers will get free meals um so like being able to create new features like that in very quick turnaround all at the same time we have incredible volatility in the product we have restaurants that are unable to operate we have new restaurants that are coming on we have new grocery stores coming on so it's a very volatile but exciting time to be working for a company like delivery so yeah th- that's kind of a snapshot of all the things I've, i've been looking at how was your experience of starting to work remotely during this period while we are all on lockdown yeah that's a good question um because I never worked like remote to this level before so uh yeah we've had lots of um lots of communications uh, we'll still have our stand-ups in the morning um I, like and we'll always have a video call on as well so that we can see each other and react to each other um we also um do lots of over communication being very clear posting in um slack and we use workplace now facebook's workplace um so these are like big tools that we're we we try to over communicate in um and also like the ability to um reach out to someone directly and and even have a quick slack call like in a very serendipitous way um in the same way that you would just walk up to someone's desk providing they didn't have their headphones on but you could just you know just chat have those water cooler moments so trying to do that in a digital way is uh has been a challenge and something that we're we're trying to get better at but yeah like slack calls is probably one of my favorite ways of doing that um and then also just having fun like earlier on we um one of our teammates hosted a a bingo and a quiz so we just jumped on a zoom call um headwear was encouraged so i i had a wig on i was using this a snap camera has a oh, bunch of yeah. desktop filters <laughs> so j- just trying to have fun as well at the same time and yeah and in general what is the design process in deliver yeah so we try to have um sort of a quarterly um roadmap for the things that we want to be doing um obviously during times like a global pandemic uh it kind of throws everything up in the air but eventually things start to get a bit clearer and we can work out 
what the plan is um and then we'll we will have reviews of the work that we can see coming up um and then we'll we'll, we'll prioritize that um that's in an ideal situation sometimes uh, it can be putting out fires like we know for example with grocery stores um we we had a, an issue where if you ordered a bunch of items and one of those items wasn't available in that store the entire order would get cancelled because there was just no functionality for um, the employee at that grocery store to say that this item is not available anymore like should they substitute that item or should they cancel the whole order uh, so we we needed to sort of react to that very quickly so th th that's just an example of something that we need to do quickly um, because we saw a lot of growth in that um, in that behavior usage behavior um, so the project uh, the product manager will communicate a lot of this in our sort of team slack channel and also we have a, a, a broader um, sort of tech org slack channel and we have an experienced design slack channel as well so we, there's all, all these different kind of teams um, but yeah it's it's good to stay in close um, communication with the product manager to understand what the needs are uh, like what what they're hearing from from uh, throughout the business um, so normally there'll be some sort of uh, source of truth document like a, a PID or product requirements document and, uh, and that's where we will all collaborate and put in the things that we know to be true and what we need to work on uh, timelines who's going to do what etc so that's that's the ideal scenario um, and then I tend to work in well I mean our design team works in Figma which is a just an amazing way of collaborating across the different disciplines and, and being very transparent about your work so like we'll have the link uh, in in the PRD to the Figma file, so the engineers and the PMs etc can can go in there and see and comment if necessary. When did you move to Figma? Yeah, so before I, I mean, I joined Deliveroo in 2018, um, and I think they Was were it already, already on Figma. Yeah, they'd switched to Figma, I believe, up to a year earlier than that. So they switched from Sketch to Figma, and so the whole design system was uh, was was already set up which was fantastic um it's like super robust um it's optimized for the consumer products it's optimized for our uh tools as well because we have a bunch of internal tools and we have tools for our restaurants um which uses a uh, like different patterns than what our consumer products would use so yeah delivery has been very progressive in that respect which is like super cool Okay, so which digital or industrial products impress you the most and why? Um, but I mean, some of the best examples um, in my personal experience that I use is like Apple's activity and health apps um, because they, they kind of get rid of all the, uh, uh, the, the things that get in the way sometimes of, of, of design. Um, so it's very minimal and reduced um, and very clear, like super clear and functional and very intentional. And I think that's uh, very important in uh, in product design, um, but also uh, delightful experiences I really enjoy. Um, 
like one of the things I've been using recently is Zenly, which is a a sort of a social location sharing app um, from Snap, um, and it's super delightful. The animations are crazy, um, and like three D icons and things. Um, so I think delight is super important for engaging users, especially in in our current climate. Um, and then on top of that, I think Instagram Stories have, have been doing a great job with all the functionality that they're carefully adding into um, the, the stories part of the product, um, being able to do polls and donations. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's a really good way of raising awareness to there's so many issues that are around right now. Um, and then like another example of um, sort of a digital product that's sort of pioneering right now is like Apple and Google's collaboration around uh, con- contact tracing for COVID-19 and like how they're coming together to create like a, like a standard that allows um, all these different Android and iPhone devices to anonymously sort of handshake so that uh, we can understand like if you've been infected uh, who else may have been infected and and that's really inspiring to see um, teams unify like that Um, and it's going to get us uh, sort of back into normalcy it's going to help get us there faster which skills do you see at the most crucial let's say top three skills for product designers now uh, I would say the number one skill is having empathy for your users. So understanding who they are, what do they want, um, being able to sort of weigh up uh, like quantitative and qualitative data insights. Um, and it's important for you to build up a strong intuition on your users. Uh, and yeah, because ultimately like, there's just so much data that we can be getting about our users. Um, we don't just want to be building a faster horse. We really want to know what our users are saying and then sort of being able to jump ahead of that and create something that's um, going to go beyond what they were expecting. So, yeah, all of that is around uh, empathy for your users. Um, but not just your users, I would say also your team members. Um, I mean, at a company like Deliveroo, we have lots of different uh, disciplines that we need to work with, like engineers, data scientists, researchers, content designers, data, uh, product managers, uh, and all of those folks have their own priorities and agendas and, and various requirements. So like understanding uh, all of their positions uh, really goes a long way. Um I mean, there's, there's one example where I've worked with engineers before that I've not really met personally, but we've found ourselves on, on a team together. Um, and, and there's no, like, there's no natural trust or uh, sort of background into how you uh, tick. So I think just, um, yeah, trying to level with those folks and, like, I mean, I, I just find socialising goes a long way, um, hanging out, um just finding out what they're into. Like if you can sort of break that barrier and, and just connect as humans. So when you do actually get to the work, um, like you've established that trust and they'll, they'll understand, you know, if around a corner should be uh, uh, four pixels instead of eight, 
they trust that, that there's a reason for that and it's going to be consistent or whatever it is. Um, they kind of understand your rationale. Um, and I would say the, the, the third point, um, sort of a skill for designers, is to sort of stay on top of what's new in design and technology, like really be on the, the cutting edge because it's such like a a fast growing industry to be in like there's there's always new best practices and principles and standards so like how do you stay on top of that um and i think like good places to start there is um the various annual develop developer conferences so um like facebook's fa and google io and apple wwdc but they're really great ways to to see what's uh, being announced uh, and what sort of trends they're all going for. Like it could be in machine learning. Um, you know, th- there's just so many different things that we could be going into. Uh, and then on top of that, there's just, yeah, absorbing podcasts and or YouTube videos. Um, th- there's just so much content out there. Um, like, yeah, like reading and listening to uh, interviews. Like it, it could be like this or with um, other companies that you sort of admire and respect and also like yeah attending those conferences and events yourself um, just to understand what what challenges there are out there it's not always a, a technological challenge it could be inclusive hiring um, ways of working uh, remote working and all these things like I think attending events and conferences really helps and so many companies are, are doing remote streams now um i recommend trying to attend those and if you can't attend them then uh like if they put the the videos online afterwards then watch it in your own time like there's there's loads of great stuff out there what was the recent book or maybe talk or any kind of podcast that you have listened and that impressed you a lot yeah, so um, I've consumed uh, so many different podcasts, uh, or sorry, subscribed to so many different podcasts. Uh, yeah, it's hard to know where to start, but uh, Design Details is a really uh, a good one. Um, uh, Intercom's, oh, sorry, Envision's Design Better podcasts. Yeah, Intercom as well, they have a really good one. And then, uh, yeah, one of the most recent books that I really enjoyed was uh, Creative Selection by Ken Kosienda. Uh, he was one of the engineers uh, that sort of worked on the um, the keyboard on iPhone. Uh, so understanding like how they sort of prototyped uh, those experiences um, and how they uh, ran those by their stakeholders at the time, like Steve Jobs uh, and Scott Scott Forstall and, and stuff, is just is fascinating. That's also where I learned about the. The concept of a DRI or a directly responsible individual, and that's when you kind of uh, empower an individual to own a particular area within a product. So, like this, the the author here, uh, Ken, was responsible for the keyboard, um, or, or he, you know, he came to to be responsible for the keyboard. So, you know, if if it if it performed really badly then you're you're going to get cut but also if it performs really well then you're going to get rewarded for that so i I really liked that um that concept and that's something that we didn't do at delivery and and now we're we actually are starting to do that um and then yeah i mean i've been trying to consume um 
lots of stuff on YouTube. Yeah, there's a whole bunch. Uh, I mean, I mentioned Figma already. They're publishing all of their uh, remote um, talks. Uh, there's another YouTube uh, channel that I watch called Mind the Product. Um, uh, yeah, the last one I watched for Mind the Product was a talk by Marty Kagan from Silicon Valley Product Group around the root causes of product failure um, and, and how sort of the, uh, how ideas turn into roadmaps that turn into product requirements that turn into design that gets fed down to engineers. And then that the end thing might not actually be answering that initial idea, or maybe the initial idea wasn't a good idea to begin with. But because most companies work in this in this way, um, it kind of it, it can set up for failure. So, yeah, that there's understanding the root causes of product failure was a yeah really interesting talk, and trying to understand how we can mitigate those those things. How do you feel about the upcoming future of whole delivery apps? I mean, do you see any kind of trends that are happening? And how do you see this whole area in five or 10 years? Yeah, so I mentioned earlier with food delivery apps um, that we sort of identified browsers and, and pursuers when they, when, they, when they want to order food. But yeah, when, when those folks open a, a food delivery app, we want to make sure that we're going to be showing them the right thing that they want to order. So if they did want to order a burger, like in an ideal world, they would open the app and we would just have the best burger dish ready to be ordered for them with the, with the quickest delivery time. But how, how personalization, right? Yeah. So we need to be contextual to the time of the day, the time of the week, uh, even the time of the month, like, you know, if it's the end of the month uh, and they've been paid, maybe they want to order a bit more, something more special. If, it, if it's the, um, maybe, the, yeah, maybe they're trying to save money. So how do we service, uh, you know, dishes and orders that are going to be more cost effective? Uh, maybe there are existing behaviors. So maybe uh, a particular user might order tacos on a Tuesday. So why don't we show them Mexican restaurants and, and taco dishes on Tuesdays when they open the app? Uh, and then like seasonal trends as well. Uh, that seems fairly straightforward. So if it's Cinco de Mayo, then let's, let's show them Mexican again. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned, personalization, like 100%. So if you're a family um, of maybe four people, you need to make sure that we, we can show them like group bundles, uh, bundle deals, uh, food that's going to serve a family, um, good good for kids. Uh, maybe you're a student, so we want to show things that are going to be low cost. Uh, we've also seen behaviours where people will over order and then they, they will put food in the fridge for the, the following lunch time. So being able to sort of cater for those uh, situations has been really important and and sort of diet dietary preferences is a is a big one you know if you don't like fish or you don't drink alcohol why should we ever show you that in the app um and then like different ways to sort of uh sort of display content um so like lots of dishes have amazing rich photography uh, or even videos so how can we make that more appealing 
uh, and more enticing as well. So like full screen uh, photography uh, versus like a very small thumbnail. So like, you know, how can we play with that? Um, and then, yeah, how, how could these things affect uh, both the restaurant and delivery teams? Um, because whatever we do for one team has to be able to work for for another. Um, so like if, if we did want to have video content in there, then we need to make that uh, easier for uh, restaurants to be able to add that content. Maybe we need to have user-generated content in there. So making, thing, making those things easier are going to be uh, interesting. And then um, one of the other aspects that we have to be able to figure out as well is localization. Um, I mean, Deliveroo operate all over the world. We're in Asia, Australia, uh, various countries in Europe, and even the Middle East. So whatever like feature we come up with in one market has to be able to work really well in another. Maybe it doesn't make sense to have a particular feature in another market. Uh, maybe each market has their own set of features. So, yeah, it's just something that we need to be very mindful of. And we have a, a great localization team. Um, for example, like we have these uh, cuisine shortcuts. Um, and for burgers, we had an image of a bacon cheeseburger. But in, uh, in the Middle East, um, you know, it's not really good to show pork in your food because that's not something that um, those folks want to consume. So we want to make sure that the photography is localized and, yeah, it works for those different markets. Um, and, and the way that we write as well, like content is a very important aspect of what we do at Delivery. So, um, I mean, most recently, we, we're trying to um, promote takeaways in, in our app. Um, but it's an all food takeaway. I mean, Delivery is known for restaurant quality food, which tends to be sort of the yeah higher higher quality food, more expensive, um, more optimized for folks that live in the city or urban professionals. Um, but if you live like outside of the city, um, you know takeaways uh, tend to be sort of lower uh, quality, um, like India and Chinese. Calling it takeaway is a very British word. So how does that translate in uh, or localize into different markets around the world? That's been a really uh, interesting sort of uh, conversation that we're having at the moment as, as an example. Which designers do you follow on Twitter or elsewhere? Who inspires you? Yeah, there's so many amazing designers out there. It's it's kind of tricky to, um, to answer, but... I would say most recently, um, I've been following Tori Hin, who's a creative director at Figma, and she's been creating like really fun work for for those for that company. Um, Ink traps for the win. Uh, and then I worked with a designer at Airbnb called Jennifer Holm, um, and she's sort of been behind the the inclusive illustrations there, and how to systematize illustration across such a massive global product. So. Um, yeah, big respects to her. And then, um, yeah, like folks that are supporting the their respective design communities. Um, I would say uh, we have trying girls here in London. So like Anna Youngs, Liz Hamburg and Rachel Grocott have been um, sort of running that. And it's been really cool to see the community come together for that. Um, there's another designer called Jules Forrest who 
she was behind women who design uh, and she literally like yesterday created this uh, new one called covid layoffs design so um that sort of bringing visibility to all the talented designers that have been laid off uh, over the this past pandemic has been really cool to see uh, and even uh, another one here in london was uh, miles palmer for starting pairup.org which is just a, a place for creatives to find and offer their time to others with the goal of sharing, learning and problem solving with each other. Um, so I think all of these things are just really good, especially in our current climate and how we can all be unified and promote each other um, in these difficult times. Is there something that pisses you off in the world or in uh, society? Just should be something for sure. Yeah, there's so much that's going on in the world right now. It's it's crazy. Um, but I think the, the the biggest thing is 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 around the climate crisis. Um, I mean, it it pisses me off that that there are politicians out there that will put the economy before the health of the earth. Um, you know, like making sure that oil companies are operating well. You know, do we need more? fossil fuels being produced right now maybe not so things that we can be doing that i can see is for you know like limiting carbon footprint um through sustainable means of travel whether that's like commuting to work on a on a bicycle uh, or walking um yeah or like if you if you like to go to conferences around the world which i definitely do um maybe don't consider flying to the opposite side of the earth, maybe wait for that conference to uh, appear in a more local uh, setting to you. Um, yeah, th there are things like shopping locally that I believe uh, is going to really help your community um, and reducing like plastic waste and taking your own containers and bags. It's going to go a long way. Um, earth needs more plastic. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and also working for companies that uh, are putting the climate first and making sure, uh, yeah, so like working for companies that are putting the, the climate first, uh, climate, so like, for example, at Deliveroo, um, we're sort of like, we're trying to reduce plastic in our uh, packaging that restaurants are using um, to providing them with uh, really good resources and materials to be able to use e eco-friendly packaging. Um, and even ages ago, we, we, we introduced a setting that would allow you to turn off cutlery, because why should we just throw in plastic cutlery by default? So by turning that off by default, it has saved um, an outrageous amount of plastic. Um, and then there's plenty of folks out there that, that you can follow um, that are really um, sort of pioneering in this space, um, or, or at least they're talking about it a lot. There's a guy called uh, Kai Brack. Um, he was the person behind Off Screen Magazine, uh, and he's big on like small footprint living and creates a really good weekly newsletter uh, called Dense Discovery. Um, uh, yeah, I'm sure a lot of your uh, listeners have heard of that, but yeah, it's a really good way of sort of um, understanding how to be productive and inspired and sort of think critically in in this uh, sort of climate crisis mentality out there. I think we'll be closing this. Thank you so much, Sean, for your time. And thank you, listeners. 